All right, we are in our last week. Is this, we're not on. There we go. We are now. Yes. We're in our last week uh, talking about um, the evidences for uh, proving Christ. We've been going through um, kind of in a different order from what a lot of people like to do. A lot of people like to prove the Bible, and then I get to tell you whatever I want. Uh, and we're we're working backwards. Uh, we're going to get to the Bible uh, last. Um, and really, once we've gotten to this point, if you've convinced them, then then it's kind of well, okay. So naturally, I would I would agree with the Bible. And there might be a couple of things that maybe I have questions about. But we've proven the existence of God, and now we're working on Christ. And so I was just kind of going back through some some things this week, and found that there's some different arguments uh, that. Uh, are an attempt to explain away uh, Christ and the resurrection. So I kind of just want to finish up with um, with some of these. Let's see. So um, we talked about hallucination theory uh, last week um, and the stolen body theory, which are the were two of the more popular. But I want to talk about one called the impersonation theory. What would the impersonation theory be? Okay, that's what impersonation is. And uh, so, so the theory goes that, uh, we're going to work today here now, that someone capitalizing on the death of somebody uh, pretended to be, well, in this case, Christ. You know, maybe you know who that is, or maybe not. Uh, Anastasia, remember the uh, Anna Romanoff, if you remember that uh, whole thing. And there was, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's all built on a lie. Right, um, that, that somehow she escaped the assassination of her family as a, a cute little girl and, uh, and, and survived and found herself after, I don't know, however many years. And, uh, and, and so she impersonated somebody and it was this rumor that somehow she survived. Well, she's dead now anyway, one way or the other, because she'd be about 120 years old. So, um, Well, <clears throat> we want to look at that very briefly because it doesn't hold much water. Um, although it is kind of an old theory, it goes back to a couple hundred years after Christ. That was an early theory. Um, uh, it doesn't explain the empty tomb is still a problem. That's the biggest problem with it. Someone's impersonating somebody dead. Uh, so, there's Anastasia. And you may notice the bullet head, uh, hole uh, in the lower part of the skull. She's dead. She died. Yeah, she doesn't look that pretty anymore. Um, yeah, so, so, and that's been DNA tested. They know that that's her. So, um, uh, it's one of four skulls of the children. Uh, that they can prove in the, where they exhumed them, right? And that's the problem with these things: is that dead bodies tell tales, um, and and so would of Christ. Uh, if, if someone was running around impersonating Christ, oh, I rose from the dead. No, no, no. Um, you haven't explained why there's still a body in this tomb. So dead bodies tell tales. So that's the the biggest problem. Uh, we have another problem. We just want to go through here, and that's the problem of recognition. Um, impersonators 
tend to wait, like dear Anna did, uh, for a little while until maybe people wouldn't quite recognize. And, and there's, there's different pictures where they she actually looked a little bit like her, maybe not stylistically, but, but age-wise, had she aged, she would look similar. Um, and so, so they don't usually pop up, impersonators don't usually pop up right away. You know, other than Elvis, but um, some people. What would be be a problem with with recognizing Christ? I say, well, it was, there's a natural explanation why they wouldn't recognize him right away. What would that be? Okay, it's got all these wounds, right? Yeah, that's natural. Men on the road to Emmaus might not have recognized this guy. But that again leads us directly to a problem, which is what? Either a good fake, which, I mean, to impersonate fatal wounds satisfactorily enough to live and still be convincing, kind of difficult. You can do it. If you're like on a bit, you know, you're in a movie or something, it can be convincing. Okay, yeah, if, if we had, you know, all the, yeah, CGI, yeah, you're walking around, the, or, or, you know, if we had, if they had all the advantages of, you know, 20, 20th and 21st century makeup artists and, and plastics and all that, yeah, maybe, maybe, but not 2,000 years ago. Right, and that's the, that's the problem of recognition is that is if you you go to a, a morgue, the loved ones who they instantly recognize even people who are unrecognizable, and and, and it is very traumatic uh, because they instantly recognize because there's a connection. But the impersonator could say, "Well, if I have the power to raise myself." Yeah. Uh, right. Sure, sure. So they're gone. Yeah. So, um, and here's the problem. The biggest problem with with that with the wounds is that it's actually the wounds which convinced Thomas that it was really him. It, it, it's actually he's like, unless I see. I'm not going to believe it. That was the thing that convinced him. And, and, and that, that seems to me to be the, the hardest hurdle to climb in all of this. So really, there's not a lot of, uh, it, this really doesn't hold a lot of um, water to me. Uh, so we go to some alternate tomb theories. And there's several variations of this alternate tomb, meaning that there's problems locating the tomb. Well, the first one is, well, they forgot what tomb they buried him in. He's still in the tomb. They just went to the wrong tomb and found nobody there. Okay. All right. For now, we'll, we'll, there's another one. And that's that, another one is that Christ's body was moved in the interim by somebody. Uh, and that when they went back to this tomb, they found an empty tomb. Yes, because he was somewhere else. So, so this variations of this alternate tomb theory. And again, we're really scratching, I mean, 
they're digging and fighting to try to get an explanation around this. So uh, let's let's look at uh, a little bit of this. And these are fairly easily disposed of. What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? Okay. The, okay. Anything else? The seal. Number one, survey says, <laughs> a day and a half, a mom forgets where her son was buried. Not happening. Not happening. So, so that first theory is right out. Um, uh, so we have another thing. Roman authorities had layers of security, as we talked about. We don't need to go through all those again, but you've already mentioned them. Guards, seals. Roman authorities had the ability to trace where and when his body might have been moved and where it was located. Kind of hard to miss. I mean, if, if nothing supernatural had happened in the interim, the guards would have still been there when they came to the tomb. In a garden where a tomb was, had you got misdirected, it would be very hard not to notice the Roman guards standing in front of this one. Right? So... Uh, they weren't there by the time. How often do you see Roman guards at a tomb? Right, so a, a Jewish tomb. A Jewish tomb. <laughs> it's like yeah. they hated them. They were like dogs to them. You know, so, um, and, and as we said, this is already highly um, irregular because of the fact that the Romans typically let the dead bodies just decompose where they crucified them. So... But this was also the tomb of a rich man. Yes. Which everybody would have known. Yes. Okay. So we're getting to that one. That's a that's a, an interesting one. I kind of thought about that at the very end. We we also have the fact that Jewish authorities are highly monitoring this situation because for this express reason that they don't want it moved. So who's going to move it? Romans don't care. They're guarding it. The Jews don't want it moved. So who's moving this body? What's the motive? There's no motive to move it. In fact, had they moved it, they're only fueling the very theory that they are very afraid of, which is someone claiming that that it would that the body was resurrected. There's no way they're moving this. They've gone through all of this trouble to make sure that it's where it is. Um, yeah, and, and so we've, that's why we've covered this in, in the order we've covered it, is we've already taken care of that. So you can't go back. Okay, just see our notes last week. I think, too, that we're looking back at it, you know, that, yes, we need a risen Savior. They didn't necessarily realize what was, the church was going to be established in 2,000 years later, that people were going to be right. um, looking at this and, and analyzing it. So I don't think that they, there would have been a motive there would have definitely not been. They had every motive to keep that thing where it was because all they knew was that they were afraid of somebody claiming that he rose again because they were aware of his claims while somehow his closest followers weren't. Um, so, uh, And as you said, uh, Wade mentioned, the tomb was a matter of public record. Um, it was a very rich person's tomb. What else do we know about that tomb? Just so we don't add any confusion. 
There's no other bodies in it. Tombs back then weren't like a single person buried in a single spot. A tomb, especially a rich person's tomb, would be built for the entire family. So he was probably the first rich guy in his family. And he's built this huge tomb to have him and the rest of his relatives buried in this tomb. So somehow he got rich and could afford this thing because no one else, it's not like grandpa's tomb where I'm going to be buried. He's the first person in his family to be able to afford this thing. And he's just waiting for it. He's going to be the first one. He's probably an older guy. And, and he dedicates this tomb to Jesus. So there's no other bodies in there. Just to, just to clear up any confusion. This is all a matter of public record. Very keen on details. Right? Uh, so, so the empty tomb theory um, also doesn't, doesn't really have any... So then we come to the most difficult theory to prove, correct or incorrect. And that is the I don't know theory. I don't know, but somehow, some way, Jesus didn't rise. What, what, I, just don't bother me with the, I don't want to talk about why or how. or Just it couldn't happen. It can't happen. Right. Well, what are the motives for this? There's multiple. Okay, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to accept it. I can't explain it. Every other attempt I've had has failed. What's another motive? Not every motive is a bad motive either. What's a motive for denying the resurrection? Okay, so that kind of that's a motive that kind of tells us a little bit about the person in terms of where they're at lifestyle-wise, right? So the the three I have um, is that sometimes some people just they have a lack of curiosity about analysis. They don't want to be bothered with the facts, or they have a general disbelief of supernatural things. They they don't like things that are unexplainable, right? Some people just have a resistance to that. And it's not that they're diabolical and want to do all these bad things and live a life. They just don't want to be bothered with it. They're not into UFOs. They're not into this. They're not into that. They're not into any supernatural things. Resurrection, I just want to live my life. I want to go to work. I want to come home. I want to watch TV. I want to do my things. This is, I don't want to be bothered with thinking about philosophical things. And they're just not curious. Um, so, uh, so there's all sorts of motives for saying, well, I don't know. And so what I want to come to today is really, to me, the most significant evidences of any evidences that we've talked about. And we've talked about some pretty convincing things. When we talk about the resurrection, there are, these are the things to me that are most important. That, and they're not... Um, like, just like we went through the existence of God, we talked about philosophical things and historical things. And, but these, to me, are the most powerful, and they're not archaeological, they're not historical, they're not uh, scientific, um, not a mystery story. 
but they are the most powerful. And I want to talk about dramatic changes. And there are three dramatic changes. There's probably more than that if we looked at them. But I want to talk about the way, and that was the, the purpose of the resurrection is to change history. Right? That's what this is all about, is changing history. And so we should expect to see dramatic changes from the point of this resurrection, because that's what it was claimed to be. So I want to look at dramatic changes. And the first one is skeptics. Who is the greatest skeptic in history? Thomas, pretty good one. I can think of a skeptic that is a greater skeptic than Thomas, greater skeptic than uh, Carl Sagan. <laughs> uh, who's the greatest skeptic? The Apostle Paul. Think about Paul and think about the things we know about Paul. Paul gives a, a history of himself. That is a very important history, some very important details. And then he says, I counted this all as rubbish. I want to look at the things that, that Paul, and, and to put yourself in your own look, in, in the same spot from the 21st century, and, and imagine completely changing every, everything that we're going to look at changing. What it would take you to change these things that form your self-identity. Family legacy. What does he say about his family? Very little. We have a nugget, though, that's very important. He talks about his father. Remember what he said about his father? He says, I am the son of a... Pharisee. I'm the son of a Pharisee. And he changes... And then that kind of goes along with another point. So, so he's got, you ever do something because that's the way you do it? And that's, that's our family tradition. And that's, a, so, uh, my mom was here. And uh, I've had talked about our family tradition. At the end of the school year, we go out for ice cream, right? It's a family tradition. And uh, that's what we have. Supper. You can have ice cream for supper. That's a tradition. Right? We, we, we're, we like our family traditions, and you have different family traditions, but, but we might attach or gravitate towards one strong thing, some strong identity. Right? Uh, my grandpa did this, and, my, or, and, and, and those carry down generations sometimes. Uh, and, and so Paul's got this family identity of his dad. And he says, I counted that like trash. Oh, that's a big change. Immediately. Yeah, so that's a big one. What would it take you to change your family identity? Something dramatic. Right. Education. What does he say about his education? What's that? What's that? Oh, Gamaliel? He was taught by one of the elite professors of Jewish, a Jewish rabbi. That is like the elite school at the time. That's like I went to Harvard and I was taught by the best professor at Harvard, whatever. I mean, you'd kind of, that would be kind of a, 
I'm a very important man, you know. He's, and and what, does he, what does he say on top of that about his education? What about him specifically? He was good. He was ahead of his time. He was... The foremost of his peers. So, so of all the students, so I go to Harvard, and of all the students of the best professor at Harvard, I was the best. <laughs> and I count it like trash. But I don't even have the paper on the wall. That's how much that doesn't mean to me anymore. That's a major change. Yes, 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 yes. He was. I, I, we're going to talk about the things he becomes. And that is what. That is the one of the major, major things. Uh, political ideology. We all have political opinions in here. They're not all the same. What would it take you to be completely opposite? <coughs> what would it take for you to go? Okay, seriously. What would it take for you to walk out here today and immediately go, I don't know what I've been doing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but it was all wrong. He is a Pharisee. That's a political party. My grandpa was union. My dad was union. I was union. I don't care about the union anymore. What would it take? What, what, What does that take? What does that take to completely... My, my grandpa was a union Democrat. That's the only thing he cared about in the world. He didn't care about anything else. He just he was a he was sheet metal worker, the American, the French. That was that was the only thing that he cared about. It was a connection to him. What would it take you to completely change whatever your political ideology is? Paul changed something. He came in contact with something and said. I'm turning in my union card. I don't care anymore. I don't care about this Pharisee thing anymore. I'm just not interested. No. I'm running low on battery. Not going to make it. All right. So we move on. We might have to work from my... And his public stance. We talked about his public... He had publicly spoken and, and testified against these things. Um, <clears throat> so I want to move on. Um, he goes from attacker, like you mentioned, to a public defender of this. And he goes from being an Old Testament scholar to being a writer of the New Testament. I mean, what, what a change. In fact, not just any. He ends up starting more churches than any other person in the first century of the type of thing he attacked, and he writes more books of our New Testament than any other writer of our New Testament when he had been an Old Testament scholar. Such a dramatic change. The greatest skeptic in history. Um, So I want to talk about another. This is religious customs. Um... Religious customs. And basically, when we look at, 
I mean, what does it take to change something in church? Right? What, what does it take to change pew chairs? All right, so let's talk about what these apostles changed because within one generation they made nine major changes, not on the order of futures. I want to talk about the things that they gave up immediately, things that they gave up within a very short period of time, and things that they gave up maybe some things took a little bit longer, a, a generation. And think of things that might be similar and how many dramatic changes it would take. Um, Nikolai Tesla once said that if you, if you have one, uh, one revolutionary invention, you're, you're heralded as something great. If you have two, you're, you're kicked out of society and, and persecuted. Um, people don't want dramatic change. Um, so, so let's look at some of these. Um, these are the things uh, that they changed, and, and they're we're looking at the first row is things that happened immediately. Immediately, they gave up their reliance on the Sabbath. Imagine something that would cause us to go, Sunday's not in anymore. Why don't me? Communion. Eh. That would be a dramatic change for an entire group of people to give this up immediately. I mean, next day. Or the temple. What would it take for us to not even care about a building at all? And 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 we we even have as a part of our theology that the building's not important. And imagine how hard it would be to not care about future. But imagine if you grew up thinking that the temple was where God lived, that the church building was where God lived. He lived in that room right there. He lives in that room. And we're like, eh, don't care about it anymore. What would that take to change your mind? That this was a part of your national identity for 1,500 years. The addition. Some things didn't necessarily change, but they were added too. What does it take to add something? Just add. It didn't even take anything out. I'm just adding. Like baptism or communion. We're just adding a very important tradition. Those things creep in over time, but to next day? I know we didn't do this last week. We're doing this from now on. Right? That's, that takes something. A complete lack of attention to genealogies. That was overnight. That was immediately... This Your heritage means nothing. It's, it's not about who... Like, that had no connection. You don't read a single thing after, uh, a- after the book of Acts starts. You don't read a single thing about the importance of it. Gone. Now, I'm not saying there weren't people that didn't believe it because we have arguments over genealogies. There was still some of that. Some people had a hard time giving up. But as a group, they didn't. To give up animal sacrifice. Now, animal sacrifice goes back long before Moses. It goes back to Cain and Abel. 
From the beginning of time, they have sacrificed animals for sin. And to say, it's 4,000 years of history, at least, gone. We don't practice that anymore. That's important. Gone. Don't do it anymore. I, I, just that. And those are immediate. Move on to inclusion. Now, what do I mean by inclusion? Four years ago, we went from this to this. That's what this would be. We went from not liking Gentiles at all to accepting them. Now, I'm not saying that it was totally accepted because we have the, the period of time and all of the letters and we can see that that takes time. Even before that, though, they included women. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the temple worship, the women were as far back as you could get. So, so there was a court of the women and then a court of the Gentiles. Like the Gentiles could like, look and... That's how far back the Gentiles were. Like in, in, a, in a, a thing of where we graduate the people who are, can come close, they're at the back of the bus. Think of how long it took us in America to even come close to having equal footing. decades and decades and centuries and within 20 years when you read the later epistles of, 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 of the New Testament it's not even mentioned anymore it's not even a thing it changed effect within 20 years there were still a couple of people that had issues that's a dramatic change. And that, that, that might be, to me, might be one of the, the greatest. Kosher laws. The things that we're not supposed to do. Gone. We all have, churches have rules, stuff you're supposed to do, understood rules you're not supposed to. But to have a written thing, and, and we have things that are kind of, okay, I can make an excuse for it from the scriptures, or I can make kind of a defense why we should or shouldn't do it. And to have those rules... What does it take to change them when, when you have a church that has an identity of something you're not supposed to do? Those do not change quickly. And kosher laws took about 10 to 20. It's still letter, you can still read the letters and still stop judging one another for the food you eat. It still went on about 20 years later. There was still having to talk about it. But it was clearing up pretty quickly. And I want to talk the last thing about is the character. Dramatic changes. And you can talk about this now. But most specifically, I want to focus on the men who followed him. Because it's one of the things we talked about. Is that uh, these men who saw him were in the greatest position to know the truth and, and to be affected by the truth or lie of this. And we talked about the changes in them and what they did. And I want to talk about um, five significant changes. We could come up with more. 
but I want to talk about five changes that they made that to me show such an impact of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. These men went from men of violence to men of peace. They were men who, whether for good motives or bad motives, their reaction was frequently violent. Do you want us to call down fire to burn these people up? That was their first reaction. Grab a sword, cut off somebody's ear. Like, that's, that's how they reacted. We'll die for you. They even have a guy who was called a zealot. Those were guys who died for their political, religious beliefs. And they become men of peace. And they become men of pacifists. And they become men who die pacifist deaths. I mean, they go from you know, being Farrakhan to being Gandhi. Like, that doesn't happen. Unless they're dramatically influenced by something of substance. They become men of cowardice to men of courage. They become men who stop running away from things. And immediately. I mean, think about this. They they were used to running away from things. And 40 days later, they're like, no, we're not running out. We'll just walk out. I know we're going to get beat. But we're walking out and we're going to say what we have to say. And you're going to throw us in prison, beat us, and we're going to be out there. While you think we're in prison, we're going to be standing there saying it again. Those guys, we put them in prison. They're out there again. How'd they get out there? Talk about a change of character. They go from men of labor to men of learning. We don't know what all they did. We know there were men of the fishermen. Four, four of them were fishermen, and three of them wrote books of our Bible. One was a tax collector. Right? Matthew writes a book of our Bible. It, it, it's just amazing what, what causes these people to go from work with my hands to I want to study something more. I want to know. I want to pass this on. I want... That's a change. That, that, and to do it at the stage of life when they do it. It's, it's not like you know, you go to college and you're trying to figure out, oh, I was going to take this for my major, but now I'm going to do this. These men are sometimes 40 or 50 years old in making these changes. Like, who does that? I'm, you know, I'm 46 and I've kind of got my general way I do things and I'm kind of in my zone. I'm just... And something comes along and goes, I know, I've been a fisherman, and Dad was a fisherman, and all that, but I want to do this. That's amazing. They go from being men of pride to men of humility. Hey, I want to be first. I want to be the greatest in your kingdom. And they have all these ideas, and and Christ repeatedly says, you need to serve, you need to do this. You need to act this way. And 
they all think of themselves as great. Oh, I would never do this. And all the things that we think of themselves, that we can see as their self-identity. And that changes. They become one of service. They become men who live in poverty for this new thing that they've come across. And they go from men of routine to men of mission. We talk about kind of just living and doing your normal thing. And they become men who travel the world. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and see where they died. India, Romania. It's like Rome. That's amazing. That, that you just kind of live in your daily life. And, I mean, they didn't have world travel on their bucket list. They just did their thing. And something said, we need to go and establish churches. And we need to teach this dramatic thing we've learned and experienced. And John says, the things that, that we touched and we saw with our own eyes and we proclaim this to you. And he travels to Turkey and ends up living there. Ends up being exiled onto an island in Greece and goes back after and goes back to Turkey to the same church. I mean, it's like, what made these people change? As we recap this section a man named Jesus lived. He was from Nazareth. That's accepted by history. By all non-Christian accounts, he was considered to have done great things. They didn't say miracles. They just said he, did, he was notable. He did some things that, you know. He was executed. He was buried. There's an empty grave, which people are trying to struggle to explain. Some people believe that he was resurrected. Some people claim any one of these theories that we talked about. And people are still coming up with theories for this, or trying to. And none of those other theories live up to scrutiny as we've gone through each one piece by piece and dismantled them. He had followers who worshipped and taught him as being resurrected, taught him as being a god. And whatever he did it dramatically changed people as nothing has ever dramatically changed people and groups of people immediately. So there's only one explanation that satisfies all of the data. There's no satisfactory explanation other than the fact that Jesus rose and therefore he is God. He's the Son of God. He is who he said he was. He is who the disciples said he was. There is no other realistic explanation, as difficult as it may be to accept supernatural things. There's no other explanation. Any thoughts as we close?